This second Thoroughly Good podcast uh, features an interview with the founder of the Rosenblatt Recital Series. There is a new season of concerts announced today, Tuesday the 1st of June, uh, which the new season starts on Monday the 26th of September at the Wigmore Hall at 7.30pm with uh, a tenor called Alex Schrader, uh, and it finishes um, on Monday the 5th of June 2017. The Rosenblatt recitals have been running for 16 years. There have been a hundred and around about 190 concerts uh, to date. Uh, confession time for me. I don't naturally gravitate to vocal music. And it's because I don't naturally gravitate to vocal music that I have thought over the past few weeks when making these podcasts that actually the Rosenblatt recitals, in terms of my own personal experience, is a fantastic example of how I think there is a different way of introducing people to classical music. Oh, I'm Ian Rosenblatt, and I'm a solicitor. I'm the senior partner of a law firm in the city, and I'm also the founder of Rosenblatt Recitals. Um, I read somewhere that I read somewhere about your first experience of classical music. Can you just can you cast your mind back there? And I can. Tell me what it was that sort of. Well, I was born in Liverpool, and my parents and my grandparents were very enthusiastic uh, music lovers, and there was the Liverpool Phil, which is still going, obviously, and in those days, Charles Groves was a conductor at the Liverpool Phil, and my grandparents used to take me and my brother and sister uh, every other Saturday night to the concerts at the, at the Phil. So that's really where it kind of... Now, we had fish and chips on the way home. It was probably the fish and chips on the way home that was the big incentive to go with them when we were, you know, really quite young. You're being serious about that now? 100% serious. So, so there was a... Smithdown Road, <laughs> fish and chip shop opposite the bus station. Yeah, are they still there? I don't know. I haven't okay. been there for a long. I haven't been up um, there for a while. But so, so you do think that there was maybe a thing about there being an incentive... I think that probably helped, but, you know, it's, you know, I was brought up with it, so there was music playing all the time, and, uh, and my father was, is, mad about uh, singers, so it's not opera, just opera, but it was the human voice. My experience with Rosenblatt recitals goes something like this. I was invited to go along uh, to a recital a couple of years ago by a former colleague who was working with Ian Rosenblatt and uh, I received the invitation and I sort of thought, oh, I'm not really sure I want to go to that because, uh, you know, it's not orchestral. 
and it's probably going to be quite boring actually and i'm not i'm not making any of this up i really i really did think that because it just thought oh it'd be like like having to go and see somebody i don't really want to go and see like an aging parent or something it just oh i don't want to do that and and i thought that was a bit i thought it was a bit strange given that i like orchestral music i like classical music and you know why wouldn't i like everything but i've just never it's just never been on my radar uh just a singer and a piano on stage uh in in an intimate setting it, it's not uh, and by intimate i mean i don't mean somebody's front room by the way i just mean as in a, a fairly small auditorium and i went along and i it happened to coincide with with a, a training course that i was doing which sort of trained I, I was training at the time to be an executive coach and part of that coaching training is training you to listen intently day-to-day interactions we tend not to listen we do we tend not to pay as much attention as we really ought to uh and if we paid more attention in our interactions then we that that would contribute to far richer interactions with people and and far more meaningful interactions and and the training even though it sounds like really noddy training who goes on a training course to learn how to listen better but Actually, it had a really profound effect on me, and and during that training, it it made me wonder what what an impact it would have on me when I went back into a concert hall. So I go along to the Rose and Black recital, and I sit down, and I have a program, and I was completely transfixed, transfixed by being in an intimate setting, by being reasonably close to the stage, by feeling as though the person on stage was singing for me and being swept along by the way in which someone who is themselves trained to own a very large opera stage when they they step onto onto the platform, when those people step into a recital space, a smaller space then they really, they really sort of, they really own it. And there is something about the energy that is required to do that, which instantly captivates an audience long before that artist has even started singing. It's quite an amazing thing. Uh, and and for that entire recital, I did not look at my programme once because I didn't care, because suddenly what I was interested in was the quality of the voice and and the effect that the quality of that person's voice had on me personally. My father was playing. Oh, is it, sorry, your father played records, and you having to guess the the artist. That what sort of effect do you think that had on your listening? 
it gave me an appreciation that you know of of um, of these different not just styles of singing but also and ways of singing but also you know repertoire really that there are certain singers that you know however great their voices were they had a thing that they could do and there was things that they couldn't do even if the notes were in the key that they could you know physically physically sing um, I've read somewhere that somebody sort of described Visconti as a fanboy <laughs> that, sorry, was, that was that was that was Petrov yes. who um, did that d- d- are you okay with that I don't mind I'm that I am a no I am and of course I'm a fanboy um, because I've seen you at recitals, and, and it's clear that you love it. You I do. Well, I wouldn't do it. it. I'd be insane otherwise. Do, is, there, is there any part of you that's... Maybe I am insane. Well, I don't think you are. Are you, are you like a kid, kid in the candy store? Um, yes, I am. Fundamentally, I am. But having now done it for... The recital series is now 16 years old. Um, I mean, when, you, when I started doing this, I had... You know, opera singers were people that appeared on a stage um, who were very removed from me. I had absolutely no idea how they got there, what went on to get them there, where they had been before, where they were going next. You know, just what was involved. They, you know, they're just these rather removed figures who did these extraordinary things. Um, when you get to meet them and get to know them, and then you know, work with them effectively as, you know, to put on a recital. A lot of them are not all they're cracked up to be. <laughs> and so it does take the gloss off a little bit. <laughs> was, there, was there an element of imposter syndrome for you when you first started running the series? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of it to begin with, thinking, you know, I, you know I'm pinching myself that this was, you know, I was... Because, because the first one I did... Um, you know, I put on the first official Rosemount recital was a tenor called Giuseppe Sabatini, who's now retired and become a conductor. But, you know, I was an enormous admirer of him. He'd hardly much appeared in London. He had, but not a great deal. So, and in those days, there was no YouTube. So, you know, you got to hear voices that you couldn't go and physically um, see at, a, you know, the opera house or somewhere. Only through... Um, either broadcast from the radio <clears throat> or tapes that you know people would you know have or pirate recordings of things so um, to be able to meet the guy and actually present him in a concert and hear him live was just to me I just didn't know what to do with myself it was very it was a very very exciting it's it's that that sort of um, level of um, fanboyness has worn off. Right, okay. So it's all quite sort of straightforward now. It's, it's just a well, I'm still very excited. Yes. I'm very excited when I hear great voices and I'm excited by every concert. Um, but, you know, you get to realise that at the end of the day, these people are people and they're doing a job. And a lot of them just consider themselves to be doing a job. You know, there's not a lot of them you can have. There are a few and a few great exceptions. But, you, you know, what I imagined I'd be able to have great conversations about, you know, uh, vocal history and the art of singing and different repertoire and uh, the way things are done and style. And, and most of them um, uh, are just not interested or can't have that conversation.
They're just talented. They're just talented. They're just talented. <laughs> Join the queue of people who are rude about the concerts. Are there people rude? Very rude, yes. yes. Uh, well, all the mainstream critics are extremely rude. What are they saying? What is their, what's their beat? Well, I think they think, I don't know for sure, but I, um, I think that they think that it's, you know, it's a narcissistic venture on my part that I can afford to do it, and therefore I'm just you know, getting my best, my favourite singers and having a good night. Um, because I can, and it's not adding anything, you know, important, artistic, or interesting to the classical music scene. I, I'm not trying to do any of those things at all. I'm just putting on, you know, and I've said this before, I'm just putting on sort of, you know, to me, I'm putting on old-fashioned, it's just entertaining. It's, it's either your thing or it's not. It's It's entertainment. It's not supposed to be anything more than that. It's hopefully a great product if I can put it that way because we try to get the best of people either around today or you know, who are established or are coming up and we've had some pretty big hits in, 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 the, in that respect um, doing the things that they're comfortable and happy doing which of course makes it a, you know adds to, a, adds to the event anyway um, and if you like to you know you like to hear a good a good voice banging out some great tunes, then you come to a Rosemary recital. Yeah, I feel rather sad about that. that. That prompts me to think that there is an enormous amount of snobbery in the classic music world. There is. There is absolutely that, is. What, what prompts you to carry on then? First of all, we've established an audience. So there are people that buy tickets and, do, and come, you know, and are you know, willing to put their hand in their pocket to, to be there. Um, so it's so it's obviously you know so there's an audience. I'm not uh, the audience is generally you know quite good. It goes up and down um, because it's competing like lots of things are in London with you know absolutely anything and everything you could ever dream of doing in this city. So, but 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 um, so there's there's an audience. There's people that love it. There are people that are loyal. And have been coming, you know, to every single concert for 16 years, um, and I and it's great, and I enjoy it, and I have a good time too. So why wouldn't I? If nobody was there, there wouldn't be much then, point. Then, surely, if no one was there, then it well, then be I a just narcissistic venture. Correct. Just be for you. Correct. Um, I, but they are enthused there as well. They are. I'm, I'm passing judgment on other events, but I am struck by how they are. there is always an enormous amount of energy. Really. Yes, there aren't very many other critical reviews where you get, you know, where the promoter is is there's a dig at the promoter, but there always seems to be whenever, and it doesn't happen very often, the mainstream press 
review the concerts, there's always some comment, you know, um, about, you know, uh, typical Rosemount audiences, you know, clapping and cheering at, every, at you know, any opportunity. Um, well, good. It's criticism of the audience, isn't it? Correct. Is but, yeah. Or, but, but I'm, you know, I'm, and that's your fault. <laughs> yeah, but I want that. What do I want? I want people yes, to be clapping absolutely. and cheering. And there's nothing that the performer wants more than to have people saying yes. we love you. So, what's wrong with that? I cannot tell you, uh, apart from sort of going over the blog post that I've written about them, I cannot recall any artists' names. I cannot recall any of the music that they sang specifically. I would need to go through all of the programme notes that I got and, and the blog post that I'd written. But, but I do know now, two years on, that if I get an invitation to go to a recital like that, I will gladly go... Even though I have, I feel as though I have no prior knowledge, even though I don't necessarily know what the programme will be, and even though I still don't feel as though this is, this is my musical homeland. But I also know that when I walk out of the auditorium, I will have had a fantastic evening. There's something really quite amazing about it. And I think in there somewhere is is one of the ways that you can attract new people to classical music. And it's got to do with how one prepares oneself before you go into an auditorium and how you listen when you're in there. Listening to a thoroughly good podcast produced by me, John Jacob. Get in contact by tweeting me at thoroughlygood or send me an email to thoroughlygood at gmail.com.